So we were preaching the last two weeks over um, different areas that had to do with reminding us again how you and I as a church can be present here uh, in our city, in our community with everything that's taking place. And so uh, today we pick back up in the book of Acts. So we have been going through the sermon series in the book of Acts and Acts is a very exciting book. It is a book that is filled with uh, many uh, challenges, uh, many things that the early church was confronted with. And you see the faithfulness of God to continue saving the most broken of people, and, and he continues to build his church. And so that in itself has been an, uh, an exciting part of us studying through the book of Acts. So now we are in Acts chapter 11. So if you can turn with me to Acts chapter 11, we'll be reading out of uh, verse 1 through 18. But before I read through the passage, Acts chapter 1 verse 8. Acts chapter 1 verse 8, and I'll read this to you. It says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. This verse here is shaping the rest of what we see in the book of Acts. It is the mission of God expanding his kingdom here on earth. And what we see here, this is Jesus' command his gospel command to go into all kind of cultures, all kind of nations with different races, different uh, upbringings, but they were to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus will continue to build his kingdom. But Jesus' kingdom building experienced much opposition by the enemy. The early church experienced this. As we've been studying through the book of Acts, we've seen the different setbacks. We see the different situations that would take place. But none of this ever stopped the spreading of the gospel. None of this ever stopped the faithfulness of the Holy Spirit. We see in the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, where where God rescued all kind of different people, right? The outpouring of the Spirit. And we see a, the first diverse group here coming together, people from different backgrounds coming together. And it is said in, in the Scriptures, it says, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. Now, what we find here is that they were going out into the public sharing what they had just experienced. Their faith was not private, but public. And that is something for us to see. But now as we keep studying, soon we will learn that the Jews were not the only ones being saved. The Gentiles were also being saved. And now this is where the rubber meets the road. This is where it gets kind of hectic. 
Because it's okay to have people that, that look like you and act like you. But what about when you get people around you that don't look like you, don't talk like you? Oh, now this is where people start having issues, right? And this is what we find in the early church. That God was including Gentiles into his kingdom. And the tensions would arise. Because the early Jewish Christians, hey, they weren't having this. They were like, wait, wait a minute. You, you're bringing a Gentile into the kingdom? Well, I tell you what, they have to be circumcised also as we do. Man, I don't know about that, right? It's a little bit, you're already old. You what? You want to get circumcised? Like, oh, this sounds crazy. Like, how are you going to impose this conviction upon someone else? But these were the controversies that were taking place in the early church. They were saying that it was Jesus plus circumcision equaled salvation. But we know that it is Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And that is the gospel that we stand on, the very gospel of grace. So God would use certain instruments to carry out the gospel to the Gentiles. He would use a person named Paul and Peter as well. John Stott says this, says Paul and Peter had a key role to play in liberating the gospel from its Jewish clothing, and opening the kingdom of God to the Gentiles. In Acts chapter 9, we've studied that Paul was supernaturally converted. But we also see in chapter 10 that Peter was supernaturally converted in the way that he would view outsiders. And this is where we get to this point, Acts chapter 11. Now, this is what the word of the Lord says. Now, the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. When Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him, saying, You went to uncircumcised men? And ate with them. But Peter began and explained it to them in order. Verse 5. I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision, something like a great sheet descending, being let down from heaven by its four corners. And it came down to me. Looking at it closely, I observed animals and beasts of prey and reptiles and birds of the air. And I heard a voice saying to me, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, by no means, Lord, for nothing common or uncommon, for nothing common or uncommon has ever entered my mouth. But the voice answered in a second time from heaven, what God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times and all was drawn up. Again into heaven. Verse 11. And behold, at that very moment, three men arrived at the house in which we were 
sent, which, which were sent to me from Caesarea. Verse 12. And the Spirit told me to go with them, making no distinction. The six brothers also accompanied me. And we entered the man's house. And he told us how he had seen the angel stand in his house and say, Send to Joppa and bring Simon, who is called Peter. And he will declare to you a message by which you will be saved. You and all your household. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them, just as on us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but I will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? When they heard these things, they fell silent and they glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. This is a very interesting part. These chapters are a pivotal part in the history of the church. They are so important. Now I want us to look at this. In the very first few verses from verse 1 through 3, what we're finding here is that the news traveled quick. This news was controversial. It was not your regular kind of news. It was not that the church was being filled with Jews. The church was being filled with Jews and Gentiles. Now, this was shocking. Because to have a Gentile next to a Jew wasn't normal. You see, the Gentiles were also receiving the word of God. And that created a shockwave throughout the Jewish people. It says that the apostles and the brothers, all who were throughout Judea, heard. They heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. But now, in order for us to understand the importance of this news... We need to see that culturally there was something going on. The audience is very important here, family, because that's going to make all the difference in the world. The people that were listening to this news. You see, it says that Peter went up to Jerusalem, and who were there? The circumcision party. Little bit of a cultural background in here is that there was a thick dividing wall between the Jews and the Gentiles. There was a huge religious and cultural background here. Now, keep in mind that the Gentiles were people who did not look like the Jews, act like the Jews, or talk like the Jews. They didn't even live in the same way that the Jews did. But now they were experiencing the saving grace of God. They were being included into the family of God. And this was not an ordinary thing. The circumcision party. They were like right wing 
extremists. These were Jewish Christians. They were Christians who were by birth Jewish, Jews. And so imagine their upbringing in, in the church, right? Their religious practices. And now they're seeing other people being saved that were not of the same race. What begins to take place is that these Jews were identifying themselves or finding worth or value in their race and in their religious practice. And because of that, they would look down upon other people that were not of their race, that were not of their religion. They would begin to look down on them. You see... They still held to many of the Jewish customs. Although they were Christians now, they still held to many of their Jewish customs. And these Jewish customs were shaping their belief system. Their belief system would influence how they behave. And how they behave impacted the way they treated other people. That's no different than us today, right? This is what we're seeing here. But now, the circumcision party. Notice that the way they responded to the news of the Gentiles. It says, they went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized them. They criticized Peter. They didn't celebrate with Peter, they criticized Peter. They criticized Peter. We see in Scripture that when one sinner repents, who's partying? Since the angels in heaven are partying. They're celebrating. The hosts of heaven are celebrating, but yet the hosts here on earth are criticizing. You see, their actions unmask what was really in their hearts. They began to criticize. Imagine today, follow with me, because what I want to do is is create what was going on here. Because when we read this passage, we're like, all right, cool, man. They just had a little problem. It goes further than that. Imagine an ex-heroin addict that experiences grace. Imagine an ex-convict that experiences grace. Imagine an ex-prostitute that experiences grace. We're like, man, praise God, right? Now follow with me. But what about your neighbor that gets on your nerves? What about your coworker that got promoted instead of you? What about your friend that betrayed you and hurt you? They begin to experience grace. How would you feel? Follow with me. How would you feel? They're sitting right next to you. Watch out, huh? Like elbow them, right? Really? God is saving all kind of people, no matter where you come from or where you've been at. And this is the saving grace of God. And I tell you, in God's providence, he will put you around people that are hard to deal with so that you can grow in grace, not so that you can flee. We usually flee. But God is calling us to grow, to conform into the image of his son. But how will we do that? How? 
So then we see the importance that we all view this through the cross of Jesus Christ. Although we will be around people that are difficult, but God is saving all kind of people. You might be difficult to deal with. You might think you're not. We all jacked up from the floor up, right? Can I get an amen on that? Amen. And we all need the grace of God. All of us do. There is not one person in here that can say I'm better than him. No. Now, as we see that God is radically saving people, and how they respond is very important. They responded by criticizing. Imagine what was going on in their heart. Imagine the mix of emotions that was taking place. And look at what else they say. Not only did they criticize it, they said, and you went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. Look at what they were concerned with. They weren't celebrating because they were born again Christians. He says, you went to uncircumcised men. Man. They were more focused on who these people used to be instead of who they are now in Christ Jesus. They labeled them uncircumcised men. Instead of rejoicing that God has saved them, they were criticizing. You see, by labeling them uncircumcised men, they were giving them value. They were assigning to them identity and value which was grounded in their race and in their religious backgrounds. And uncircumcised people, the Gentiles, were considered to be ceremonially unclean, unfit to be in the presence of God. They were of no value. They were looked at as if they were not even humans. Gentiles will be considered dogs. You follow with me? This is how thick the tension was. There was such a deep-rooted heart in racism here. This is what was being experienced in the early church. They were being viewed as less than human. So instead of celebrating, they're criticizing. Instead of calling them brothers, they were considered heathens. Instead of praising God, they were pretending as they were better than others. Can you feel the hate going on here now? Now that we've come to this point, do you feel now the tension that is arising in the room? You come into the room and you're trying to tell the brothers, man, let me tell you about this brother who just got saved and this and that. And they bring him in like, oh, man. You know, that, that dude got some tattoos on him. I, I don't know if he could come in here. Or like they told me one time, like, hey, you dress too baggy. You can't go evangelize. You can't dress baggy. You got to dress in a suit. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. wait a minute. Nah. Doesn't matter. God is not concerned with what you're wearing. He's concerned with your heart. He is radically changing you from the inside out. 
Because you could wear the best suit in the house and you still don't have a relationship with Jesus. That don't make you good with God. And so what we're seeing here is that they were considered to be ceremonially unclean. And so they're like, Peter, you ate with them. I mean, Peter, you could have just gone by the house and knocked at the door and talked to them on the outside. But you went in their house and you ate with them. Another point here, family. Culturally, back then, if you invite someone in your home and you eat with them, this was a sign of acceptance. This was symbolizing that you were accepting them as friends. And a Jew had nothing to do with a Gentile. You see this with the Samaritan woman when she told Jesus, like, what are you doing here, Jesus? You can't be drinking water from here in the same cup. Like, what? What's going on? Jews and Gentiles cannot be together, but Jesus was not concerned with the cultural situations that were going on. Jesus was more concerned with her as a woman that needed the saving grace of God. But we also find Jesus ate with all kind of unclean people, right? Amen? Jesus ate with all kind of unclean people. From prostitutes to Pharisees, Jesus ate with all kind of unclean people. But what we're seeing here that when Jesus ate with them, this was a powerful picture of the gospel of grace. A powerful picture of the gospel of grace. That God was saving all kind of unclean people. So circumcision and uncircumcision. That was a big issue in the early church. We see evidences of this in this passage as we read this. To label somebody like that. You see, circumcision was a right that God had commanded in the Old Testament to physically mark his covenant with his people. So Jewish Christians would take pride in their obedience to this command to the point that they were setting circumcision as a requirement for salvation. They were adding to Jesus' death on the cross in order to be acceptable before God. Jesus plus circumcision equaled acceptance before God. They were relying upon a religion of works instead of the gospel of grace. They were setting marks as to what was spiritually acceptable. They were judging outwardly. Their own religious pride would blind them from their own need of grace. We're the circumcised group and they're not. Our identity, our value, our significance is rooted in our race. Doesn't that sound kind of familiar what we're going through right now in this season of life? Nothing new under the sun, family. Sin has always been corrupting the heart of man. And the answer will always be the grace of God. The grace of God. But now, 
Just as they set marks of spirituality, we can do the same. In the church, we're famous for that. We're famous for setting marks of spirituality. Because we can easily say a person has to dress a certain way, a person has to talk a certain way, act a certain way, because if they're not fitting my cookie cut of what I think a Christian should be, then they might not be right with God. They might not be. You're imposing upon someone else your own convictions. We got to be careful with that. Look, they go to the movies. What? They're watching a scary movie. What? They watch zombies? Or what is that? Zombie something? Or the walking zombies or whatever they're called. I mean, seriously, we can go so far to the left or to the right that we become critical of others. What? Brother's got some tattoos on his arm? What? Oh, man, I don't know about that. What? That brother wearing Jordans? Like, man, I'm telling you, we can judge others immediately. And the thing is, none of that has to do with our relationship with God. Our relationship with God is not based upon your obedience. Follow with me. Is not based upon your obedience because if it was, we would have lost it a long time ago. Amen? Our relationship with God is based upon someone greater than ourselves. And that is Jesus Christ himself. Not us, but Jesus Christ. Religion will tell you God loves me because I obey. You hear me? But the gospel will tell you that God loves you, therefore I obey. You see, our obedience flows out of a heart that is grateful for the saving work of God. We're not trying to earn the love of God by the things that we do or don't do. God loves you where you're at. No matter where you've been through or the mistakes you've made, the grace of God is greater than all of your sin. Amen? And so, the dangers that we fall into is that we begin to set a to-do list on people. Don't do this. You must do that. We need to guard that because maybe God is showing you that for your own walk. But here I am imposing this. Like, for example, you come to me and I'm struggling with something, this and that. And I tell you, look, I, I tell you what. Five things you need to do to become a better you. Not a better Christian, a better you. You have to read more in the morning. You have to pray more. I tell you what, you have to prayer walk in this neighborhood at 9 o'clock at night. Oh, watch out, huh? Like, you got to do all these things. But wait a minute. I'm telling you that you need to look to your obedience for your relationship with God. You need to look to Jesus. You need to look to Jesus. Let the affections of your heart be set on fire by what he's done for you. We can easily find value in what we do for God and forget all about what he's done for us. Why do you think it becomes hard serving the Lord? Why do you think it becomes hard coming to, to church? 
Why do you think it becomes hard in serving in the church? Because easily we begin to find our value in what we do for God instead of what God has done for us. And then we get discouraged when others are not serving with us. Hey, I'm going to be the first one to tell you. But I have to remind myself that my worth and identity are not found in what I do, but what has been done for me. Jesus is the anchor of our soul. Jesus is our hope. Jesus is our righteousness. Jesus is the reason why we're here today. Not because the church building looks cool or the curtains look nice or we got some nice chairs in the back and I want to sit in those. That's why I want to hurry to church. No, we come together because Jesus died on the cross for my sins and for your sins. That is why we do what we do. And the Jewish Christians were struggling at this. They were struggling. And this struggle was an evidence of their heart issue. Now, Peter then will begin to explain And now we get to this verse here in verse 4. And Peter began and explained it to them in order. Now, this is important because Luke gives us a second explanation to this miraculous vision that took place. He did it in chapter 10, and now he's doing it in chapter 11. But this time, he's given it through the eyes of Peter. Totally different way of communicating, different order. Peter is recounting the things that happened to him as he experienced them himself. Now, it's important for us to see this, the order that he's telling them, because this allows us to see what Peter experienced through his eyes. But not only that, Peter is also identifying with the circumcision party. He's wanting to show them that just like you struggled, I did too. Just like you had a hard time accepting people that don't look like you, I did too. But let me tell you what God did. And this is what begins to happen. He begins to explain the vision that he had about this sheet that came with all these animals. Now, all kind of animals. Follow with me. It says in verse 5, I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision, something like a great sheet, descending, being let down from heaven by its four corners, and it came down to me. Looking at it closely, I observed animals and beasts of prey and reptiles and birds of the air. Follow with me. Diversity there. Not the same animals, because included in these animals were some that were unclean according to to their Jewish customs, all right? But they were all under the same sheet. There's something symbolic here. All under the same sheet, and there's a diverse group of animals. Now, he says this, I heard a voice saying to me, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. Now, this would be offensive to any Jew. You tell any Jew that you got to eat some pork chops, 
They'll be like, uh-uh. But you tell one of us pork sharpened eggs, they're like, I'll see you in the morning then, bro. Not tortillas de harina, right? But the Jews was not like that. To the Jews, that would have been offensive. How are you going to tell me to kill and eat this? I, I wouldn't even touch it. Look at the way that Peter responds. But I said, by no means, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has ever entered my mouth. Man, Peter over here, man, I can't believe this. This is, this is the Lord trying to tell this to Peter. And here goes Peter again being hearted. Uh-uh. I ain't doing that. God has given him instructions through this miraculous moment, and yet Peter says no. But this is, again, an evidence to the thickness of his heart. He struggled within himself. This was hard for him to accept. And three times God had to speak to him. He was being hard-headed, right? Three times. It reminds me when Jesus and Peter are talking and Jesus tells Peter, do you love me? Peter says, well, Jesus, I do. Well, then feed my sheep. Do you love me? Yeah, Jesus. Three times. But now here we're finding that God was not only bringing Jews into the fold of God, he was bringing Gentiles. The sheep were no longer just Jews, but Gentiles. This was not an easy thing to come by, family. To us here, we like enjoy that. Like, yeah, bring people from all kinds of backgrounds, man. Praise the Lord. We're celebrating here. And that's why I love our community here, man. Praise the Lord for that. But you and I will encounter moments where our hearts will struggle because you will sit next to a person that might not act like you or talk like you. They might be offensive sometimes. They might go through a hard day and all of a sudden say something bad or maybe they pull themselves away. But either way, people are going to struggle. Like, honestly, how many sinners are in the house? All of us, right? And we all need the grace of God. We all do. And so what we're finding in here is that Peter struggled. And so did the people he was reporting to struggle. But Peter's telling them this because what he's sharing is that I can identify with you. And we will have those within us, man. Hey, you know what? Maybe Howard can relate with me on something that I'm struggling with. And he will tell me, hey, I've been through that, bro. And I tell you, this is what God showed me. And this is how we speak to one another. In community, we're pouring into each other and we're reminding each other. You see, God had to use a visual aid about this Jewish ceremonial laws about clean and unclean foods to show to Peter that all people are sinful and they all need the grace of God. That no one can clean themselves on their own. You cannot save yourself. I cannot save myself. God had to step in and save us. Only God can make unclean 
people clean. So now what we find in verse 9. But the voice answered a second time from heaven. What God has made clean, do not call common. Do not call common. God has made clean. There's a passage in the book of Ezekiel that talks about, he says, and I will put a new heart in you, and I will remove the heart of stone, and I will give you my spirit, and I will make you clean. It is God who is actively at work in our lives. He who began a good work in you is faithful. Amen? He is faithful to complete it, family. It is not dependent upon you. It is dependent upon a God who is faithful, for he cannot deny himself. We look to ourselves too much. That's why we keep stumbling. We need to look to God. It is God who is the one actively working in each one of us. And that's why then Peter gets to this point where he says that the angel then spoke to him and said, send to Joppa and bring Simon, who is called Peter, and he will declare to you a message by which you will be saved. You and all your household. Verse 15. And I began to speak. The Holy Spirit fell on them. Hallelujah. Just as on us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said to John the Baptist, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave the same gift, follow with me, he gave the same gift just to the Jews, as, uh, just to, to the Gentiles as he did to the Jews, follow with me. He gave the same gift. He didn't give them a different one, a lesser one, a smaller portion. No, he gave them the same gift, the Holy Spirit. God showed no partiality. Why should we? God showed no partiality. Why should we? God was building this community, and these kind of dividing walls bring This unity within the body of Christ. The Gentiles had now experienced the saving grace of God. Salvation was not dependent upon human merits or effort. It was all the grace of God. That's why Peter then says, who was I to stand in the way of God? If God saved them, praise be to God. Who am I to stand in in God's way? i tell you what, if you have an issue with who God saved, don't talk to me, talk to God. Because it is God who is saving rebels. It is God who is saving sinners. It is God who is saving the worst of people and making them his family. And you and I, family, we're the same. You and I were just as jacked up as anyone else, man. We've all sinned against the holy God. Each one of us. Maybe we think that from a world's perspective, I'm not as bad as that guy. But look at it through the eyes of God. All of us have sinned 
against the holy God. And that is why we need grace. We need the grace of God. Turn with me to Galatians chapter 5, verse 6. Paul captures this, man, in, in a way that I'm talking about. He hits a home run with this verse right here. He is communicating to us, Galatians chapter 5, verse 6. He says, For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision count for nothing. Did you hear what it said? Circumcision nor uncircumcision count for nothing. They have no value whatsoever. Let me tell you what does have value. It is, are you in Christ Jesus? Are you in Christ Jesus? Our union with Christ, that is where we draw our value from. Not whether you've kept all these rules and regulations. Not whether you've walked a certain way or, or you've gone to this church or you've gone over here. Man, that don't count for nothing. What counts is, are you in Christ? Are you in Christ? And that's why he says, but only faith working through love. Faith working through love. So this is what we find here, family. The early church experienced this here. Circumcision and uncircumcision. It was a great struggle there. There were great tensions there. The Jews found their righteousness in how well they kept the law. But our righteousness is found in who? In Jesus Christ. Our worth and, 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 and value is found in Jesus. Not in how well we keep God's rules and God's laws. All those are important. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that they're not important, but don't look to them as a source of righteousness, as a way to validate your spirituality before God. That's what the Jewish Christians were doing in the early church. They were hurting more people than helping them. And we've done that in the church. Man, people are struggling immediately. We're like, oh, man, you know what? They probably done this, they done that, and, and you push them away. You don't even try to talk to them. Like, really? You go out to war, and one of your fellow soldiers gets injured? You're not just going to leave them there? I mean, you're going to pick them up and take them with you. In the same way, you and I, we're going to struggle at times. We're going to fall short at times. But the saving grace of God is still fully working in our lives, and we have other brothers and sisters that are running with us. And so if you're slowing down, it doesn't mean that you're probably slipping off and maybe you ain't got it right with God. He's like, man, you know what? Maybe he just needs a word of encouragement. Maybe he needs to, maybe he needs to pull back, and I need to pull back with him. As a church, we could be the most judgmental people. Seriously. But Jesus was already judged for us. He was already judged for us. Let us not be like that with other people. Let us be Christ-like to other people. 
So a religion of works will not save family. It will not. How well you keep the law will not save you. How well you obey or how much of the Bible you know will not save you. It is Jesus Christ who saves. And out of that gratitude flow a desire to want to read your word, to want to pray, to want to come in community. But when, when it's not flowing out of that, it becomes mechanical obedience. Like, like our kids, man. Our kids have mechanical obedience. You tell them to take out the trash, they're like, okay. Right? You tell them to feed the dog, they're like, okay. Man, right? Can my kids say an amen on that? That's not how God wants us to live our relationship with him. He wants us to delight in him, to long for him. And as our heart's affections are set on fire for God, guess what happens to your desires for the world? They begin to pull away. But if you try hard to stop your desires for the world, it is hard because now you're focused on on your own weaknesses. You need to focus on the power of God, the grace of God. And that is what begins to enable us to walk faithfully before our God. And so now we end with this. God will turn complainers into worshipers. Guess what happens here? Verse 18. And when they heard these things, they felt silence and they glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. You see, they went from complaining and criticizing to glorifying God. And you and I, maybe we found ourselves on the side of complaining about others. Be reminded that you yourself have sinned against the holy God and you need the grace of God. Let the gospel be what saturates your heart and leads you to that place of worship where you now allow the gospel to shape the way you deal with others, the way you relate to others. Yes, you will be around difficult people, right? We all have those in our life, amen? Is it only me that have difficult people around me? No, we all do. And we all need to continue running to the throne of grace, asking the Lord for grace. Minister to my heart, Lord. Help me to love them. Help me to serve them. Help me to find ways to pray for them. And you will see how God begins to tenderize your heart's affections. You will look for ways to serve. You will look for ways to reach other people that don't look like you or act like you. God is building his kingdom, family, and it's a beautiful thing to find people from all races, cultures, backgrounds, all of that, because our worth and our identity is found in Jesus Christ, not in nothing else. Let's go before the Lord in prayer. Father of heaven and earth, We thank you that you were looking, seeking, pursuing people like us, as broken as we are. And you saved us, not on the basis of our works, but what Jesus Christ did for us. I thank you, my God and Savior, 
And I pray today that if any one of us is here and if we struggled, Lord, if we've had the feeling of, of superiority, if we look down upon others, God, extend mercy to us, Lord. Remind us that we were unlovable, and yet you still loved us. Remind us that we were those hard people, and yet you still loved us. Remind us of the gospel, my God and King. We thank you for today, Lord. I pray that you would empower us by your spirit as we go out into the community and into the city. Help us to be representatives here on earth, Lord. We thank you and we honor you. In Christ's name.